ladies and gentlemen, this is a really good one, and I've been so excited to share this one with you all. So my next guest is an actor I consider to be one of the greatest in our generation. He's worked with everyone from Del Toro, Malick, Tarantino, to Soderbergh. He's an extraordinary actor who can easily lose himself in the life of his film and television characters. He's ever-evolving and ever-changing. He's a true chameleon and shapeshifter, always presenting us with a new and intriguing character. I'm talking about Clifton Collins Jr. You might have seen him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Nightmare Alley, Transcendence, Honey Boy, Waves, Transpecos, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Star Trek, Boondock Saints 2, The Mule, Capote, Knight of Cups, Pacific Rim, Babel, or Tigerland. And that's just to name a few. But this year he started my favorite film of the year, Jockey. A film that has received considerable attention this awards season and has put a spotlight on one of the best acting performances I've seen in a while. The film is about an aging jockey who hopes to win one last title for his longtime trainer who has acquired what appears to be a championship horse. But the years and all the injuries have taken a toll on his body, throwing into question his ability to continue his lifelong passion. And the arrival of a young rookie rider who claims to be his son and whom he takes under his wing further complicates the path to fulfilling his dream. It's such a truly wonderful film with so much heart and a stunning performance by Cliff. All right, so let's just jump into it. Clifton, how you doing, buddy? What's up, buddy? Good to see you, bro. It's good to see you. You know, the last time I saw you was uh, we were going down the elevator at Soho House, and it was like 15 years ago. Uh, I thought they're going to say when we were riding our, our, our Diamondback bicycles uh, in Hancock Park. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's that too. It's so funny. I was actually just talking to my partner about you and I was saying, you know, in my lifetime, there's, when I was a kid, there were two specific moments someone stood up for me and both of them were you. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, and so that's why I've always had this, uh, like followed your career and I've got a, you know, I've always said I've got a special eye for talent and, uh, you're, you're truly exceptional in all the performances you've done. But one of the, so for the for two instances, one in our front yard of our house, Jason pushed me out the front window into a, a rose bush and you, you got into a fight with him about that. <laughs> and then the second one, we were in little Tokyo bowling and I was playing double dragon on a video game. And these two dudes tried to bully me off of it and you got in their way and you're like, no, he's going to keep playing this game. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Thank you for reminding me of that brother. Yeah, dude. How you doing? I'm, I'm good, man. Blessed, blessed, trying to stay safe and um, um, getting by so far and, and doing this press on, on, on jockey, man. It's been really uh, it's just beautiful. It's been heartwarming. It's, you know, and you know, I've been doing this a long time, Dwayne. So to have uh, have something that we did on a, a shoestring budget to be accepted on, on such a level is uh, it's it's just it, it's just it just opens up your heart. You know, the feel good vibes are all over the place. Yeah. Well, every time you've got something, I check it out. And when this, the heat started percolating on this and at Sundance last year, I, I couldn't make it, but I was talking to a couple of colleagues who saw it and they're like, they're like, this movie's beautiful and his performance is extraordinary. And I'm like, Oh, I can't wait. So I finally got to see it last week. And I, I was just so blown away, man. Like what a, what a, it was just, it was so magical is the word I've been describing it. It's a very magical performance and a magical film. And it just seemed like it was almost a documentary. It almost like I was following your life. And I'm like, so how was it? I mean, when this project first came to you, 
like how did it come to you and what how did you feel like were you immediately like this sounds something i'm really interested in honestly no uh i i was interested in working with, with clinton greg again because we did a transpeckles together and uh it was through that experience and that collaboration um you know uh evolving scenes delving deeply into them you know i did a whole note pass before i even signed signed on to transpeckos so they approached me they said hey Clint wants to direct now and Greg's going to produce. And said, okay. Um, Cause when you have a good experience, you know, you find out there's a sequel or follow-up film or anything, anything with the same company of people, you're going to want to revisit that process. And um, hopefully it will evolve much like ours did. Uh, so they approached me with this, this film, the screenplay, it was like 60 pages. Uh, they knew about my backstory with my own dad. Um, and the, and the horse racing and, and alcoholism and things of that nature. So, um, that wasn't something I was excited to open up either because I haven't been in therapy in a while. And it's usually these kind of roles that help with that. But, um, so, so we slowly started to develop it and, uh, you know, you, you try to fit in the right films in between and after so you can do these shoestring budgets but they weren't quite happening and COVID was around the corner. And next thing you know, they're, uh, uh, I think we lost some more money. And then I found out we were shooting on a live racetrack. I'm like, wait a minute, we're losing money and we're shooting on a live racetrack. Like, yo, this is a recipe for disaster. Like, like this is very dangerous because I've been in plenty of dangerous situations um, filming uh, as I think most artists that are committed to certain roles We'll, we'll, we'll still do like I did. Um, so in this particular case, uh, I, I looked there, my friends, we had a great, uh, process in the first one. So I was, once I committed, it was kind of over. It was like, look, I'm either going to go down with the ship or I'm going to sail with the ship, but I'm going to be with the ship because my friends are on it and I'm already committed. So, you know, my agent tried to throw other gigs my way and I was like, it's, I'm, I'm already committed to this. So if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be after not before because i'm preparing now and we don't have any money so the only kind of money of sorts is the time i put in and the, that commitment and that dedication and i'm not gonna steal from the budget so to speak right and i i, I yeah i think there was again when i use the word magical it's not necessarily the tone or the theme of the film although there was many incredible moments it was just it felt like it all came together and just uh and sometimes when you're behind the scenes and you're seeing projects come along and you're like, oh, this is going to be tough. And then when you actually see them on screen, like so many little things lined up for that to happen. And as I read more about it being a live, like a live racetrack, I'm like, I don't even know how you make a movie in that capacity. Uh, but like your performance alone, I mean, the camera f is just obsessed with you throughout that film and it really just tracks you and tracks all your emotions. And so when I saw it, the first thing I thought was like, how did you prepare for this? Like, how did you get from in development, the business side of it, the budgets, like, and then you're, you're actually taking on the role and becoming this character. And then when you take your business hat off, how did you make the transition? Yeah, that's a really super good question. Uh, so these guys, uh, as the script was developing, I had an idea where they were going. I'm really good about doing my research early on. So I started with uh, kind of like the obvious ones, the Seabiscuits, the Secretariat, the more commercial films because we don't have the budget to be commercial and that's not what we were trying to do. Um, don't get me wrong. We want to make money, but we want to tell a very real story that's not tainted by money. Um, so I, I started with broad strokes and I, I mean broad strokes because that's not 
the group of people I'm representing. It's it's a version of. So you kind of get that out the way. I'm I'm finding my favorite is to find the obscure documentaries, the off the beaten path, unproduced documentaries, the homemade ones, because that's where you get the nitty gritty, dirty stuff. And then um, because they, they did give me an opportunity to meet with this big uh famous jockey in Santa Anita, but I, I didn't want to be spoiled by the luxuries of Santa Anita because Turf Paradise is not Santa Anita and not even close. So I, I said, hey, guys, thank you for that. And they even throw it, threw it out there a couple of times. Hey, you sure you don't want it? I'm like, I'm so good. And plus, I was already, I, I needed to get all this other research out of the way because this, this was just kind of like the loose foundation, so to speak. And then once that was done and it was time for me to get to Turf Paradise, um, I got there two weeks early. Uh, and then I'm, I'm literally embedding with the jockeys like every day. We, we had a crew of 10, so it made it really easy to kind of hide. And, you know, it's Northern Phoenix, so it's not Scottsdale. You know, you got, so the people there don't really expect to see a movie being made there. You know, nobody's racing to Northern Phoenix to make films. Um, so it, it provided me a great deal of uh, anonymity that allowed me to kind of blend in with my environment. So much so that I'd be at the winning circle sometimes just to cheer on one of my friends that one of my jockey friends that won. And I'd have like these, these big giant overweight, I think younger than me, even probably 10, 15 years younger. Like, Hey, we didn't see you on the docket. Hey, we won't put some money. Oh, Hey, you going to make weight. Hey, if you make weight, we'll put money on you. We'll put money on you. I'm like, I'm going to make weight. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. And I can't really break character. I'm like, I'm an actor. And, I, and that's the last thing I want. I want to just, I want what that happens. So, but then the rascal in me, as you know, me, I, I, the, 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 the desire to just strike out with a good joke is just, I've had to hold it back. <laughs> I was like, don't, you're a jockey. You're not Clifton the clown. You can do that when you go back home, Clifton. Right now you're Jackson. Act accordingly. They want to put money on you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can imagine. So, and, and spending time with the jockeys, I was able to collect all kinds of intel and data and up-to-date stuff and how the culture's changed since Clint Bentley, the director, whose father was one a jockey, and then two, Clint himself was a jockey for a little while. The world since changed so many times. So to get that up to speed was a, a cool thing to do, um, which added to uh, so much of the development of different scenes within the screenplay. As you read the script, like you're going into production, was it a script that was locked before production or were you guys messing with it throughout? D- definitely polishing throughout. And I think that's the nature really of independent filmmaking is, is you, you have the luxury because you don't have these, uh, these uh, suits, you know, demand, making demands or things like that. So you're very free to be and to create. That's great. Without the worries and the pressures of that, you get the pressure of the timelines and dates and, hey, we're shooting on Monday. Do we have these scenes be written? Something that we can work better with because we've all agreed that it needs to evolve to this point because of these reasons or to match up to act three or, or who knows how you tie it up. But certainly that's the digging that I do. Yeah. Um, they knew that from working us working together on the first film. That's cool. And so as you were getting into the character, you're becoming it and you're, you're, you've been in Phoenix for two, three weeks and you're about, you're going into production. Like as you look at Jackson Silva, what was it that you connected most with him, with the character? What really kind of allowed you to become him? 
one having the blessing of all of turf paradise and and the jockeys and, and everybody that worked the course and, and the track and the horses and the trainers and this it, literally that first and foremost um and, and that allowed me to uh, kind of lock the ideas that i was already coming up with at home um and, and clint was so eager like any first time director or any director really maybe on his 10th film it'll be a little different but that first one you just you just want to see you don't want to wait till the 25th to open your presence you want to open up on the 24th or the 24th right so he's like what's jackson sound like what do you think you know because we decided to go like maybe he's not kid he's probably gonna be a little bit more latino and and you know and i had my ideas about that too is it old world latino new world did they just cross the border have they been here a couple gens you know so things like that um and then i i didn't want to show him what i was cooking up just yet because inevitably you show this stuff a little too early and they try to give you notes and whatnot. Um, but Clinton, Greg know my process pretty well. So I was holding back till I was getting ready to hang up. And then I spewed out like just one sentence and, and like what I felt was the spirit of Jackson, which is also slightly more methodical in tone. And he was just, you know, I just wanted to hear more. And I was like, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man. I'll see you in Phoenix. <laughs> So you gave them a taste and they were like, they probably set them at ease quite a bit. I, I gave them a taste for sure. Um, and then I spent, I spent every, I spent almost, I spent probably almost every day with Logan Cormier who played Leo fantastically. And, and all the other jockeys too. There's a, a lot of Latino jockeys um, in that film that you probably don't even know are Latino because there's, they've been here so long, which is really cool. I agree. When you, when you look at the, the, uh, the arc of Jackson and what, um, what sort of thing were you most excited to express? Like, I don't know. He's such an interesting, complex character and you play it so well where it's just, it's all bubbling under the surface, but it's, you know, he's calm and there's composure there. Was it the father figure of, you know, of Gabriel? Was it, what, what were you excited about? Like, as you were getting into the production, like, I can't wait for this scene. What scene were you most excited for? All the scenes where I had to, face situations and face certain emotions and certain um, inevitabilities, which, you know, a lot of the scenes are pretty powerful. Um, but, you know, this, the spirit of independent filmmaking, you're just up against so much, <laughs> you know, you just want to get an honest, real moment and um, you want it to be organic and authentic. And we had enough time where, you, you could let go of so much of the dialogue and, and, and everybody you've got the support of everybody too. So um, I, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, and then also trying to find the, uh, the, the truth of so many of the scenes, you know, cause so many of the scenes were still, we were still developing on, on deeper levels. And, and that, I think a lot of that comes through, through the shorthand when, you know, Ruth and Jackson, they're talking, but if you actually listen to the words that they're saying, there's so much of so much of what's said is through what they don't say to one another. And you can yeah. tell because one answers answers without a word and just a, a, a grunt or a nudge or a you know, I mean that's Molly Parker just brilliant at that. Yeah. I'm just in awe of her. Yeah. That's why I loved it so much. I mean, it was so I mean, there's there's elements that make it where you can tell Clint has his fingerprints and his point of view, but then it's just so much of the stuff that's happening with you and all the characters on screen. 
were just uh i just was, was insatiable i had to keep going but i went after i finished i went back and rewatched a handful of scenes and i was thinking to your point about the independent side of it like a lot is this a lot of this ambient light and are you all chasing the sunset and like nailing these moments at the right time like that's crazy so it's cool, it's cool that you said uh, chasing the sunset because adolfo is the kind of dp he doesn't yell he knows exactly what he wants he knows where the clouds are um very calm so i I don't want to use the word chasing because it is commonly and more often we use it in our business because that's often what we do is chase the sunlight. But because Adolfo is so prepared and he's there, you don't need to chase it. We need to chase it is the crew if they don't make it back in time, you know? So it'd be like, all right. Uh, uh, okay. We've got 10 minutes. Uh, the sun being here uh, in 10 minutes. So the crew, we can be here. Uh, if not, um, we can try to pick it up tomorrow. It's important. Wow. If not, we move on. I mean, just having a regular conversation, we very present. Not like, you know, oh, oh yes, Clifton. Like, he's not like, like looking and making sure the crew gets there. It's like, we're having a combo. If the crew gets here, we're going to get it. And if they don't get here, then we won't get it. And if it's important, we'll pick it up tomorrow. <laughs> so we weren't, so that's why I want to be air on the side of caution. I say we weren't ever really chasing the sun because it was planned that way. And then also with the horses, the only time the jockeys uh, work out the horses is at that early hour. So if you want to see anybody, if you want to make your extra, I think it's like 35 bucks a horse, you know, so these, these jockeys got a little bit of pocket money. Um, you know, you do the three laps, you do the, uh, the, 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 the warm up, and then you do the stretch out where you see this horse actually stretching its hind legs and front legs. It's really once you start to get a beat on how that works, there are very subtle, subtle nuances um, that can be easily missed if you're not paying attention. And um, my brain is sometimes to, to a fault. It's just hypercritical and it's just hyperanalyzing and just so meticulous in, in what I'm, the details I'm trying to steal and pick up. Um, but you can watch the horse warm up on one lap and then watch him stretch out on another lap. And then on the final lap, they race them out and they put them back in the stable until it's time to race. So now they're like, they're excited. They're ready. All of them got worked out that morning and it may not be the same job. I get to trace them later that day. So you had to be there in the morning to pick up anything in the morning. Cause that's when you did that. If there was a full blown sun, then that's not real. That's not true. You might see that and see biscuit. I don't remember. Um, I, I that would be kind of hard for me to watch going back now because right. I know so much of what is real and what isn't and what's commercial. And I, I just don't do well with the commercial stuff. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, that's, I love it. I mean, and that's the, the detail, like all the little things that were, were happening at like, um, there's the moment where you're in the cafeteria, the set in the third act and, uh, Gabriel comes in and that conversation you all have there is one of the favorite thing I've seen in like two years. It's, it's, it's so power. Like, I love just like the detail, the nuances in between it. And like this emotional game that the two of you are not really playing, but just having and his reactions to your very calm demeanor. I mean, it was just its so good. And I was just bragging about this morning. I think it's to exactly what you just said. It's all the details that you've picked up, the nuances of like, I, I couldn't imagine what a jockey was like sitting in a cafeteria, having breakfast, looking, you know, looking at their, uh, their strategy of what they're doing next. But uh, it makes sense now after hearing you talk about it. Yeah, that was a tough moment because I'm, I'm trying to find another trainer to work with. And here I got this kid who... I'm proud of it in a lot of ways and, and a little upset for how things were handled or not handled. And, and 
it, it's just a te- testimony to we don't really know what other people are really going through until we actually find out. Um, but you know th- that's a real cafeteria in the middle of the horse track, and you know sometimes you have tweakers popping in with their giant jug of of strawberry uh, energy drink, talking about, "Hey man, I want to eat." It was actually female, so she didn't sound like that, but just close. <laughs> she was like, "I want to eat some breakfast." Like, like, oh, we're treating something. You're like, "We kind of just sit down." Like, I'm gonna go to Walmart and have breakfast. Fuck this place, you know. So. She, <laughs> So it was, it was all live um, and it was real. So that, that's where a lot of the jockeys would eat. And, uh, and, and that was a very fun scene with, with Moises. Yeah. Very powerful. I remember it vividly. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. And, you know, the thing you said a second ago or a little bit earlier was about finding the voice of the character. Is that, tell me about your process. Is that something you sit in a room and just play with voices out loud? Do you record them? Like how, what's that, what does that look like? How does Clifton find his voice? You're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, I do. I do all of that. And then more, it, it could be, it could be a song. It could be a, a, a lyric in a song. It could be something you saw in an old movie, a new movie. There could be something about the tenation of like a word that like, oh, I think the, the, the syllable, the third syllable in that one word might have something to do with this character. And you anchor it. You use that as an anchor. And you kind of reverse engineer a whole verbiage and a dialogue and a, a flow. So in, in Jackson's case, a lot of it came from just a little bit of just uh, picking off the little interviews I saw from certain jockeys. You know, I'd watch certain jockeys. I'd listen to them. I'd wonder what they are in their career versus where Jack, where I, I perceive Jackson to be. I don't ever really root it until I'm on set. Um, but, so I kind of keep loose ideas. So it allows me to be directable. It allows me to flow. It allows me to improvise. Because once you get married into hard, concrete choices, it's very difficult to break away. It's like trying to mix the paint on a wall when it's already partially drying. I mean, you got to mix a whole new batch, you know, and that's a big thing. So, um, a lot of prep has to happen to, to keep it loose because even scenes like where Molly Parker and I were at the, at the, where the, the, the bull, the, they're paying 20 bucks to ride the bull. That was all a real thing there. But all that dialogue was improvised. You know, oh, she goes, oh, who do you root for? The, you know, the, the rider, the bull, you know, and then she says, how many seconds do you think? I'm like, eight. And she's like, four. And she's yeah. a trainer. And of course she calls her right. And she has, and she's been hanging out with the trainer. She's been getting up at 4.35 in the morning to be with her, with her trainer, uh, the only female on the lot. So it was a lot of art imitating life stuff. But, you know, those magical moments were just happening. Because, um, you know, the guy falls off on four. You couldn't cute him. That was just some dude that paid 20 bucks to Rick. I don't even know if he knows that we were filming him. <laughs> truth told. <laughs> and, then, and then before him, there was this little nine-year-old kid that was jumping on that bull. The, the, the dad was like, come on, son. And we're like, wait, I, I know we're not from Arizona, but don't we have a responsibility to like say, hey, this nine-year-old child should not be riding this 2,500-pound bull. You know, even the kid was so happy to get on the bull. We're like, am I going to watch this child die before my eyes? Like, I don't want to get in the way. And, and this guy could probably shoot me with a real gun, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I, I think at the last minute, somebody pulled the kid off. I, I don't remember what happened, but it wasn't us. But I know we were all worried. I mean, yeah. child, it doesn't have to be your kid. You're just worried about a kid riding a giant full grown bull. 
<laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. And by the way, I have a note right here on my screen to ask about the rodeo rider and foresight. Because I'm like, that moment that happened, again, like the magical moments when I'm, as a viewer watching this thing, I'm like, did they tell the rodeo rider jump off after four seconds? Like, it just worked. Like, you say that, you say that line, look over, and it falls off. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have chewed him better. You couldn't no. have chewed him. It's like, where is the guy? Where's the first AD? <laughs> oh, we don't have a first AD. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't have walkie-talkies on this set. This is a bad kind of set. Wow. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I have a question later on we're going to talk about because you do so many different types of projects. You do studio films. You do indie films. But I, I want to wrap up a little bit with Jackson real fast. Last question with Jockey was, as people start seeing this, the movie comes out in a week from now. People, as they leave the theaters on the 29th, what do you want them to feel as they're heading home? What is one of your goals? Like, what is the thing that you want them to feel? You know, one of one of the biggest uh, rewards is is uh, just how this film's been affecting people, and we're living in a time right now where you got uh, so much uh, like hate. There's so much lack of, of humanity and, and compassion and empathy, um, and to to walk away from this film and actually feeling anything is is uh, just a huge reward. I, I can't even tell you the the number of both men and women that have approached me after a screen and been like, Oh, I had this relationship with my dad, or I had this relationship, with my mom, or I wanted to be a jockey or I want to be something else. And, and you, you, you feel their pain. You know, it, it's obviously I've explored this whole uh, capacity of pain in regards to the father son relationship. In addition to exploring my own pain, because that was obviously you can't not bring that to the table. So when you realize that you've created something with a group of friends that, that were just as dedicated as yourself um, to affect people in this way, I mean, that's what you want with, with every film. I think that's my fear of the commercial films is the commercial films that don't really have a heartbeat, so to speak. Um, you know, you, even something like Pacific Rim's got a heartbeat, you know, the whole relationship with Rinko. Mm -hmm. um but that's not that's not the norm so when you have something that's nothing but heart and soul if you hope that the audience and the people watching the film have a heart and soul also <laughs> yeah i mean i think that just the the whole last 15 minutes of that movie are going to make people feel all sorts of things and the thing that i've worked in awards films for like 15 years and one of the conversations i had at tiff two years ago with a colleague who was on the acquisition side was we're just saying how it was interesting that there's this trend in like just the most traumatic story of all time, right? Like if, if it was going to be an awards film, it had to just be absolutely the most brutal experience that you could imagine. And we were just kind of like, I wish there was something more. Like I wish there was things that had more things that do with that had more to the human condition than just like making people just feel like, like shit or feel awful and like whatever it is. And that's what I love about this film. And I wish like more awards films were like this, a story that as I leave the, I feel a lot of really incredible things. I also contemplate stuff in my own life, uh, but it puts a more glass half full look lens on. That's how I walked away. And um, I'm like, this is the type of movie I want to see way more of. And not only on the indie space, but on the, the commercial side too, because you're right, it has so much heart and there's so many different experiences that people can relate to in that movie. There's not just one thing there's not just two things. There's so many things, and you all brought that to the forefront. So, incredible work. You've got to be very proud. Thank you, but no, without a doubt. I mean, you just kind of said it all, really, right there. That that was very well put. Um, I, you just want to touch people's hearts, and and to have uh, 
you know, it, it, it's a it's a, a competitive world. This this sport, um, and it's it's it, 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 you're not like a part of a baseball team. You are part of a community, but the, the rewards come from like singularly, individually winning. Um, and then tomorrow you're just uh, nobody again. It's not like uh, Mike Tyson where he wins a title and he's like champ for like a long time and still. Right you know, reaping the rewards of that. Um, in this case, it's like, you know, the next day is a whole new day, but, um, to, to have a, a movie that is competitive like this one is, and then to have the kind of, uh, you, you get a sense of closure of some sort at the end that, um, I, I think is heartwarming to, to many, but, um, speaking to what you just said, uh, I've had so many people, you know, it's, it's tell me that I kept thinking about it or I went to sleep thinking about it or the next day I was thinking about it or I watched it again. It's the kind of movie you can watch again. And when you do, you're going to get, you're going to get more because that's how we did as actors. We went deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's where the rewrites came from. And I think uh, a lot of the shorthand and um, that allowed for the improv to be so naturalistic as well. That's awesome. Well, I just like at the Mesa movie, went to Tyler the credits I, that I just replayed in my mind that, what happened in the last three or two minutes of the film and especially the last 40 seconds as you're walking and i'm like just imagine what the script says like <laughs> it's just a line right it's an action line and here's it is and like there's so much happens <laughs> like in that last 15 20 seconds and i was just like i was so blown away of the subtlety of all of the journey i just i almost almost like a recap of the last two hours in that last 15 seconds of what your character what jackson took me through and I'm like, man, the script has one single line and Cliff gave it like 30 notes of actor magic. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what people keep saying, man. It was, uh, you know, we rewrote that entire monologue that morning. Uh, that big old monologue from 6.30 in the morning to 8.15 in the morning, we wrote that whole thing. Wow. And then that last walkout, um, you know, I, I asked Clint more or less, it's like, how far is Adolfo tracking He's like, he's going to track you over to the parking lot. I'm like, okay, well, we haven't really established the parking lot, so we're still going to play into that. He said, yep. I said, okay, cool. Now that I know that, I know Adolfo's going to be tracking with me. I said, what What do you perceive me going through? And he gave me his loose ideas. I said, great, well, I'm going to add to that. I'm also going through this. I'm also going through that. And maybe a little of this is happening as well. He's like, well, I don't know about that. I'm like, I, I do, though. So I think this is just, how about, let's just knock one out. And if you, you want to try something a little different, then we'll try something. He's like, cool. So we went ahead and did one. He's like, don't listen to me, Cliffy. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, don't worry, I am. And then we did one more take, and they were like, you know, check it. And 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 it was uh, it was one of the last shots of the film. Also, you know, you, you've already we're a part of the community. Community is a part of us. We don't want to leave as bad as they don't want us to leave. And a lot of the jockeys, they were hanging out to watch that last. And now they they got an idea about the story. They haven't read the script but they know more or less that their world. They know yeah. what they're up against. And oh, when I saw some jockeys off camera crying, I, I knew I had them. <laughs> when I saw that, that's like the biggest, like try not to pay attention to that. Cause that's like the golden statue is, is watching your real people that you're portraying be affected in that emotional capacity that it's uh, like, Oh wow, I did it. I did it. I climbed the mountain and I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. So to speak, even though I haven't, risk my life on that track that part I, I can never take credit for but uh certainly uh touching their hearts yeah i can 
Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, most community is whenever there's like a thing that's happening inside that people can't wait for it to be out. You know, like, please move on, film your movie, go on. And to have that sort of response from the community, especially a community that has a lot of grit and toughness and like a lot of honor without showing emotion. So I can only imagine like <laughs> that was extra rewarding seeing that uh, emotional response happening. Um, <clears throat> so bravo on that, man. I have a few questions to talk to you about your career. Things have been always so... I think I saw you in your one of your first performances. Do you know that? Which one is that? I saw you and I believe it was the Elephant Man in high school. Elephant Man? Nope, I didn't do. Okay, I'm tr- I was trying to recall what it was because I was only I was acting in high school and got a B. Yeah, yeah. Well, I... Mr. Man <laughs> used to wear Birkenstocks and hippie glasses and had long hair and full-blown hippie. <laughs> I don't know if he's smoked pot. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember, but I remember going and seeing one of your performances. And I remember, I kind of remember being around like in high school when you were like, I want to start. I remember, I think it was your junior year that you said you want to start taking acting classes and pursuing it. So one thing that, you know, I've sat back, I remember seeing stuff uh, naturally on screen, like I had no idea you're going to be in it earlier in my life. And then started, you know, obviously chasing down the stuff you're doing. When you, I know so much about your life. How much of an impact did what your grandparents go through impacted your decision to per, to pursue being a performer before being an actor? Uh, it, I mean, it was everything, truth told. Uh, also, he was he was the one voice that said I could do it when everybody around me said I couldn't. You know, um, like my, my, you know the, the core group of my friends, like you know your brother Shane and, and everybody were all very supportive. Uh, but my own my own family and um, people around me still were like, that's a tough business, or you think, oh, that's a, you know, like, well, when you're 17, I mean, going into any business sounds pretty tough. I don't care what you're doing, right? And where it lives. Yeah. So uh, I, I was fearful. I was fearful because it's the unknown. You don't know what it is. You got to really, at the end of the day, you got to love what you do. And, you know, I was always a class clown, as you know, and I was always uh, up for the joke at the cost of Jug. You know, Jug. Oh, yeah. The acronym, Justice Under God. Um, so, but if I knew I could launch a good joke in social studies class or chem class um, and, and have it land, it was worth Jug. But what sucked is when you did throw the joke out and it just fall flat on its face and you got detention. You got to, <laughs> that. I should have given my mouth shut. But it was my grandpa because I was afraid. And he was, I said, Grandpa, would you think I could do it? Because he talked about how nobody followed in his footsteps and how his career wasn't worthy of having grandkids follow because his own his own children didn't follow in it, his daughters nor his, his son. Um, so when he said, uh, yes, you can, I was like, oh, wow. I said, okay, well, let me, let me, let me think about this for two, three months. Uh, cause I don't, I don't, that's when me and my cousin, we were teaching martial arts to, to underprivileged kids and stuff. And, um, and in that moment, I, I had so many instances of kids or people not in the business telling me I look like an actor or I seem like an actor or what movies have I been in? Just random. One could allege. Uh, and those were the signs I needed. So uh, when I went back to my grandfather, I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And he set me up with this super, super tiny, tiny agent um, that I probably could have got on my own accord. <laughs> um, and when I had to wait, I had to wait like four months to meet with this girl. I'm like, wow, this must be a big deal. I got to meet with a real Hollywood agent. This is going to take months and I'll kiss a big deal. 
So it, it just, they just were just waiting to meet me, I guess. It wasn't that big of a deal, but for me it was. So it was that, it was that, that voice and him believing in me. Cause even my mom didn't, my mom thought I was lying to her. And I told her I got my first commercial. She totally thought I was lying to her on the phone. My grandpa had to get on and tell her like, I wasn't lying. <laughs> wow. Uh, like you really don't believe in me. Yeah. And did you, and how long did it take for you to believe that you're an actor? Well, once I committed, it was kind of over because, you know, would I be a successful actor? I, I don't know, but I was having fun. Um, I was having fun. I had like four different jobs. So all my bills were paid. My, my mom and my stepdad didn't have to take care of none of that. Um, my car note was paid. My insurance was paid. I was taking care of my responsibilities as a young kid, young teenager. So, you know, I, I, once I committed, I committed. It's like, it's a journey. It's not a, a destination, as they say. Well, you've seen, you've had such an incredible career where you've been able to work on incredible studio commercial projects with the biggest names. You've done so many incredible indie projects. Are you mindful of like your, your, your schedule of like, I'm make sure I do one indie film every once in a while. Like, are you thoughtful? Is that how you approach it? I try to, I try to very much so. Um, and, and earlier on when I was carrying my grandfather's um, surname, um, which isn't mine, but it's certainly a family name, uh, I had to be careful, like, oh, okay, well, I did two Latino roles. You know, I, I'd love to do this other Latino role, but I can't afford it. I can't afford to put that out there. I got to do an Anglo role or a, a redneck role or a country or racist or whatever. Um, and it's the same thing. So I had a couple boundaries or barriers to, to jump. One is 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 all, also the type of character. Am I a, a, a bad white guy, a good white guy? You know, there's that thing too. So as a Latino, am I playing a gangbanger? He's a gangbanger with a soul and a heart. Like he's like little angels with 30 faces, James Cagney style. Or am I just a one-dimensional bad guy? You know, so you got to be careful of, of the kind of things you put out there. In the beginning, you just want to work. You want to take whatever comes your way. Commercials, indies, AFI films, student films, you name it. You know, you just bring it to the table and I'll do it. Because you just, you want the experience. You want the credits. You want to be seen. So uh, it's just getting your foot in the door at first and then you slowly start to maneuver it but even here moving forward we're very aware you know that we have a couple of fantastic indies on the table um that, that we're set to do for next year um petra volpe's um lewis and frank um is a, is a very important film that i'm excited to to approach i'm gonna put some weight Amazing. back on for that one <laughs> Um, but yes, to answer your question, yeah, we, you know, it's great to do that one commercial film and then knock out some, some wonderful independence with some, you know, new filmmakers, some hungry filmmakers, passionate filmmakers, and then, and then get my own projects off the ground that I want to direct. Yeah. Amazing. And when you're looking at your schedule, do you, are you have to be mindful of like how much time you f roll out of a character and roll into a character? And cause it sounds like you do so much thoughtful research. I can't imagine you can do two things simultaneously. So do you have to schedule them that way? Or do you sometimes just have to get stuck in between? That's another good question. Um, so, which has led me to like a, a, a new evolved thought process that I've had to develop <laughs> because um, people like you, Dwayne, um, <laughs> with thoughtful questions. Uh, not every role is going to demand that depth of preparation like Jockey would. Um you know, there's some roles that, that you can just kind of go to a mid-level and, and be just perfectly fine and have fun as well. Uh, you do have to be mindful 
um, you know, a film like 187 that I did with Samuel Jackson, who, who just had a birthday yesterday, turned 73. Yeah. That's a heavy role. That's a heavy role to, to shake. Um, it's very violent and traumatic. Um, and there was real life drama happened at the same time. So, you know, the, those kind of roles, you know, the Tigerlands, things like that. Um, you know, and then also the fact that I was the lead on like almost in every frame of this movie. So it's, it's constantly on you. It's kind of like turning on an oven, you know, when you're like the sole dish, if you're putting in other dishes and you get time to cool off and kind of, you know, reconnect. But uh, I, I disconnected from my world for jockey. I, I, I spoke to, uh, I was in touch constantly with my grandmother and then two other mentors. Um, and I, I left it at that. And then I, I pretty much stayed away from all my contacts in LA so that I could get lost in this world. And that said, when I came home, I did have opportunities for bigger money gigs, but I was so uh, traumatized from being ripped out of this world, you know, and it's just something that happens. You rap and it's time to go home. You know, you get home and it's like, you find ways to still hang on. It's like that, 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 girlfriend that you broke up with that you messed up that you know that maybe you can make it better and you just in your mind you know you got to walk away but there's still some things that maybe i could say this it'll change things and you know so like i'm still dieting for another week and a half you know i don't want to read other scripts oh this director wants to meet with me well that's good i, I maybe next week because i you kind of feel like you're still cheating on her yeah but you're still so deep you're so emotionally and romantically involved with that world you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard. Uh, you know, so rarely do you have that camaraderie and, and when you do an indie, you're all counting on one another. So the, it forges these bonds that, that are, you know, many are lifetime bonds, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you've, you get, you get all the scars together and you've gone through something together. And, and when it's, and at the end of the day, it's that, that rap and everyone's bummed that it's, it's going away when it's something like that, where so much heart and soul went into it with not a huge financial upside up front. It's, it's exhausting. And if everyone's sad that it's not happening or like you're not doing it anymore, that's a good sign that you've succeeded in some capacity because I feel like all those things make their way onto screen. I think when people are in audiences or in theaters and because I've seen it work on the studio side on the on films I knew that had the incredible chemistry on set. You can't point it out on the screen where it happened, but it, the entire thing is, right? Like there's something that that camaraderie and that chemistry uh, really elevates the story in a lot of different ways. Oh, you hit the nail on the head, but that, that is so important. And um, it, it also, it's, it's helping me to walk away from certain projects now, you know, because if you've got people that aren't on the same page with you or themselves, they're all creative partners, that, that's all going to carry into production. And when you got to work that hard that long, I mean, you better be on the same page and you better be in the same book for damn sure. Because, you know, one, you're going to have problems, but two, you're going to miss out on the beautiful magic when you all are on the same page. Because, you know, even if you're taking different routes to get there, you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. And that makes a huge difference. And when you've got all these actors that are showing up in the, in the crew that were working for nothing. It, it's like they all knew where we wanted to go. So it, it I think that's where the magic happens. And I, that's the only way I can explain how every day something unexplainable happened. Yeah. Is the fact that all these creative souls and brains are all focused on moving forward for the same common goal. 
What was your favorite one of those random instances that happened? I mean, the most sensational ones got to be those uh, those wild mustangs that that crossed my path. Wait, that was wild. <laughs> no horse wrangler. What? Yeah, that was completely wild. Wow. I I, I remember Greg Quedar coming into my um my hotel room with uh, my wardrobe girl, and I was like, "Yo, so 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 today," and I was kind of making fun of him a little bit. I was like, "So today we're going to." Uh, I'm going to meet my, my ex-girlfriend that I haven't seen in 25 years. And then we're going to go to uh, a, a Coon National Forest to the Tonto Park, like two racist ass names. And then and then the wild Mustangs are just going to cross frames at sunset in front of me. And, and, and then it's our day with no horse wrangler, no first AD, no second, no walkie talkie, no nothing. And and then I just saw Greg's shoulders just kind of <laughs> punched down in his feet. And I saw his head just tilt forward. I could feel his whole like, he was like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, don't worry about it, buddy. I said, they'll show up when Jackson shows up. And sure enough, because we got one shot, honestly, Dwayne, we got one shot we, we chase down the Mustangs as much as you can. You can't chase any wild animal, wild turkey, wild Mustang. That, that's their territory and not yours. So, you know, we all carry gear out. I'm in cowboy boots. It's daytime, so I can walk on rocks, but you don't really want to walk on those rocks at nighttime. Cowboy boots, you break your ankle. Um, so so we head out there, and we got a shot that, that, that suffices. I've watched the dailies. I'm like, it works. Um, but as, as they were starting to go deeper down the river, my base camp was three miles up this way. And I was like, Hey guys. And I was looking at the sun, gauging it. And I was like, Hey guys, uh, we're going to be losing the sun soon. You can't really chase wild Mustangs. So I'm going to start heading back to base camp. And I'm like, okay. Um, I could hear them. They're way back. I could barely hear them. Like, all right, I'll see you over there. And you barely hear them. Like, I'm going back to base. So you, you start walking back and then I start reflecting on just the, the magical nights and the moments and different things. And you're like, God, I, if we can have that little bit of whatever that force, that magical force is, um, if that could stay. I just had a moment where I was walking and I couldn't hear any of my crew anymore. Nothing. And I squatted and I, I started chucking little rocks on the water like we do as kids. You skim them. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought like, fuck, like that's four days of, of man, if I can, if we could, you could grace us the whole shoot, that would be fantastic. And if not, thank you anyway for, for giving me such a beautiful taste that I'm going to work real hard to achieve that taste as organically and authentically as possible. And, and I'm going to hopefully share that with everybody and it'll all carry over. And everybody was already on that same page, but um, as I chucked the rock, looking down at the water and watching the mayflies jumping off, that's when I heard the stomping of this water and these hooves going, and I heard, I mean, I, I, I'm Westworld. I've been around horses all the time and I just, literally just looked up and I just saw these big, beautiful, dominant, there's a big, beautiful, white, dominant mare and her big brown eyes just staring right into mine. And the back of her hair was like, which I'd never seen the hair on the back of the neck stand up. That's one thing I hadn't bear witness to until that moment is for as much time as I spent around horses. Um, and, and everything just quieted everything around the whole world disappeared. Just that being in myself. And um, she she saw me. She was getting ready to go back up the embankment. I, I kind of put my hand up. I stood up, put my hand up, and then I kind of squatted down below her eye line. And then what you see in the film is her putting her head down and the tail going like this, sipping the water. Four other horses come in, and then they cross frame. 
So I'm I'm here with the horse. I can't look. I don't know where my camera guy, where, where Adolfo is. Um, I suspect he's, he's there. I don't know. These horses would have ran if he would have ran up on us. But as soon as they passed, I looked all over my shoulder and there Adolfo was like a ninja just snuck up on his belly, broke down the camera, was pulling focus himself and captured the whole moment. And I remember the rest of the crew running up in time. And, you know, one of my producers, um, Nancy, she had tears running down her face like, oh, my God, did we just get that? My sound guy with the big boom was running up like, oh, my God, he goes, did we just get off crying and crying? And then um, Adolfo looked at his camera and pulled it. He goes, yes, I think so. <laughs> and then Sean, our sound guy, was like, man, he goes, I was thinking this could go one of two ways. <laughs> one, we get the shot or two, we have a dead actor on set. <laughs> You know, and I was like, what the hell were you thinking? I was thinking. I couldn't think the dead actor thing. I just think the impurity of this being and myself and the two souls, whatever that might be. So for me, it was like, if she approaches me, she's coming to take me somewhere. So I'm going to parry left. I'm going to parry right. And I'm going to grab that mane and I'm going to bear back her to whatever magical place she's going to take me to. Or <laughs> my brain was, it wasn't, she's going to trample me with her frigging wild, probably outgrown hooves that have never been shaved or cut. What a crazy, I mean, I can't believe all that lined up like that. And again, it's just you, that you feel that. I obviously had no idea that wasn't primed in my consciousness going into it. And you just felt that way. It just felt like all those pieces just happened. And I cannot, I still can't believe the rodeo rider jump, jump off at four seconds. And I can't believe you got wild horses. I mean, that's just. I, I got a clip I can show you that I, that I have. It's not in the film and it's me coming out of my trailer one morning. And it's, it's the full-on, Adolfo got the full-on John Ford, the doorway, me coming out all haggard and disheveled. And, and I'm just breathing my fresh, my first breath, breath of fresh air. And you literally hear, I literally put my hands up in a big old V and Adolfo's inside the trailer shooting out. So you see my hands go up like this. And then you see this giant V formation of geese going right through the middle of my hands like that like you couldn't what? it would have it would have looked like cg it was so that's insane and just you can't cue the geese it's like right this <laughs> that's crazy i can't believe it oh there was now they're now they're like la- la- running up somewhere in tears and somewhere actually just laughing at the sheer absurdity of how is this happening <laughs> yeah well, man, I could talk to you for days and days and days. And next time um, we're in the same vicinity, we need to grab dinner. I need to just catch up on life. Man. No doubt, brother. Just text me, man. Text me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hunkered down low. I got my rapid test. Yeah, same. Oh. Same here. Got you. Got you. Well, after the new year, let's get together. And I dig that. Let's do that. Clifton, congratulations. What a beautiful performance and a beautiful film. Thank you, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your press day. Thank you for taking the time to do this. It means the world to me, man. Yeah, same here, brother. Same here.